0: hey everyone and welcome to front run where we predict the future of money and technology thank you to all of the new listeners subscribers and followers your feedback has been amazing if this is your first time with us we are all here because we believe the next generation of wealth creation is decentralized finance and cryptocurrency and we're going to front run the opportunity together I'm your host, John Cook, and it is the third week of November 2022. Happy Thanksgiving to all of the listeners here in the United States. You know, watching the FTX saga unfold over the past couple of weeks, I think has been a net benefit to the cryptocurrency and decentralized finance ecosystem. The absolute filth and hubris and greed that the centralized exchange operators and private hedge funds and shadow banks have been like purporting and... Leveraging user funds to make super risky, illiquid investments on complete shitcoin tokens is unacceptable. We published an article last week called How to Steal $16 Billion. It's basically a step-by-step guide on how FTX bank ran $16 billion of depositor funds on uh, FTX.com, FTX.us. Using the FTT token as the basis for the Ponzi. It got a lot of great feedback. I encourage everyone to check it out if you haven't already. Just go to frontruncrypto.com and you'll see it as one of the trending articles. This week, we're going to follow up on that and really dive into the mechanics of the FTT token under an analysis that we've called How to Build a Ponzi Empire with Fake Money. I think what's been popular over the past couple of weeks or so is FTX using deposit funds to essentially keep Alameda Research afloat. But what's missing, and perhaps not as getting as much attention as it should, is the creation of fake money using the FTT token. It's a complete Ponzi scheme. And we're going to dive into it today, and then we're going to follow on with the just absolutely poor reporting done by legacy print media and surprisingly crypto institutions like The Block just absolutely missing the mark. And rather than holding FTX, SBF, the Alameda Research CEO accountable. They just follow on with softball after softball report, and and like it's a complete disaster. But let's take a step back and quickly recap the past four years of SBF and FTX under the premise of just the dominance that he's been able to execute up to the most recent bank run which ultimately led to his downfall I mean keep in mind this guy is not a crypto bro he doesn't share the same first principles of the crypto and decentralized ecosystem he traded equity options at Jump Financial before pulling the trigger seeing the arbitrage opportunity and taking advantage of it essentially fleecing millions of people including institutional investors so think this through over the course of four years, this guy accumulates a net worth of $26 billion. He creates $8 billion, eight, $8 billion with a B, of fake crypto money. This is the FTT token. Convinces 1 million users to deposit $16 billion into his online trading platform, FTX.com, FTX.us, right? He persuades the city of Miami to give him logo rights to the Miami Heat Arena, which they're now trying to backpedal. And I think what's just fantastic in all this, he rugs pull an entire ecosystem of smart money investment experts like BlackRock, Sequoia Capital, BlockFi, the Ontario Pension Fund, Tempsic Capital, Binance, SoftBank, Tiger Global Management, Coinbase Venture, Paul Tudor Jones, Millennia Management, and many, many, many more out of billions of dollars in LP money. If I were an LP, I'd be pissed right now. And just like side note on this, how is it that all of these institutional investors, smart money experts, the smartest people in the room, raised so much money and didn't ask for one seat on the board? There isn't one investor on the board of FTX or Alameda. I mean, complete incompetency, perhaps hubris, greed, maybe all of the above. It doesn't help that I he was able to deceive some of the largest names in financial markets and reporting like bloomberg Forbes, cnn cnbc and all these other mainstream media pundits into heralding his company as the white knight of crypto back in the DeFi winter of maybe may 2022 god it seems so long ago but it just happened a couple months ago when you overlay just the absolute hilarity of endorsements that he was able to extract from social media influencers and celebrities like Larry David, crypto leaders like Vitalik and Bankless, into pumping his worthless crypto token to retail traders in the name of effective altruism and earn to give, it's it's incredibly disappointing looking at this retrospectively. I want to share everyone this 36-second clip of SBF's effective altruism pitch by some, I don't even know this guy's name. He's a really popular YouTuber. Just check this out and listen to this insanity. But Sam is not a traditional billionaire because he believes in the concept of earn to give. Which means his goal as a human is to make as much money as possible just to give it away, earn to give. And that's exactly what he's doing. So let's say that you have $100, And you want to figure out what you can do with it to help the world. Earning to Give is thinking about which causes, which charities save the most lives per dollar. This $100 can go as far as it possibly can to help the world. Last year, this... I, I can't spend another moment listening to that garbage. It turns out effective altruism and the entire Earn to Give model was just a ploy to extract capital from retail investors as well as financial and institutional investors. What's really damning in all this is not only was he able to take money from would-be investors, but he was also able to mislead founders and CEOs at companies like Robinhood, Voyager, Masari, Yuga Labs, Circle, into taking equity positions in their firms and even relinquishing control of their treasury. This is really wild. I, I saw this on on the twitterverse and it's it's unbelievable so ren protocol received funding from alameda research but in exchange for that funding which was primarily allocated to continue building and maintaining their network ren labs gave up access to their company treasury or insight into plans around how the acquired Ren that was bought by Alameda Research would be used. And guess what? It's all gone. Ren Labs has no money. Can you believe if you're CEO of a company, you take an investment from Alameda Research, but part of the investment, contract is where you give up control of your treasury and you have no insight into how the capital is allocated or used insanity it it seems like with ftx and SBF, common sense went out the door but no 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 we're not done yet in addition to retail traders being tricked news outlets being tricked social media influencers being tricked institutional investors being tricked founders and CEOs of companies being tricked. FTX and SBF were also able to fool the heights of government, bureaucracy, mediocrity, the invisible hands running this economy, think the World Economic Forum, the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, the U.S. House Committee on Financial Services, the U.S. Commodity Futures and Trading Commission, Bill Clinton, the GOP Republican Party, the DNC Democrats, they all took money and advice from SBF and FTX. Why? Ultimately, to help shape and influence the financial markets in such a way that it benefits FTX and not the broader DeFi ecosystem. Balaji posted a really great tweet about the SEC. Check it out. It's in the notes if anybody wants to read it. It's essentially the SEC trying to backtrack any involvement with FTX, but an internal note was released where there's actual proof that members of the SEC, including the senior counselor to the chair, senior advisor to Gary Gensler, met with the FTX committee multiple times. Why? Surely, the reasons weren't nefarious, but fortunately, we won't have to worry about FTX negatively influencing the regulatory market. I'm sure some other grifter or scammer will step in and take his place, unfortunately. What I'm thinking out loud is, a part of me wonders if Gary Gensler was really playing 4D chess. Did he see this in advance? Did he see the FTX collapse about to happen before everyone else and basically said, thanks, but no thanks, I'm not touching any of this. I mean, that could be a wise move on his part, just perhaps saying, nope, we're not going to let GBTC become a spot, ET- spot ETF tool. We're just going to keep FTX, GDPTC, and these other players at bay, which ultimately proved to be right and led to the downfall Of the leverage that we're experiencing today. But nonetheless, that was the rise of FTX and SBF over the past four years. And literally, literally, in the month of November 2022, he lost it all over 14 days. How is it possible for so many parties across so many segments of society to be fooled? My answer that I keep coming back to is hubris, greed, and incompetence. It's truly the the trifecta of failure which transcends all participants and the implications should not be waived under the pretense of taking risks that sometimes don't pay off. I'm specifically talking about like VCs and investors who destroyed LP investor funds by not performing their due diligence and realizing that the FTT coin was a shit token that had no economic value, primarily Sequoia Capital can raise their hand and take blame for this. A couple of weeks ago, they released a note to their LPs regarding the uh, FTX collapse, and they framed it under the, it's a very long letter, but the TLDR is, Sequoia Capital said, we are in the business of taking risks, and sometimes, some investments will surprise to the downside. No, 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 that is not acceptable. A surprise to the downside is investing in a platform or product that fails to find product-market fit. Failing to identify the Ponzi-inspired business model of FTX vis-a-vis the FTT token is negligence. LPs, taxpayers, and anyone whose capital has been negatively impacted by this disaster, they should be pissed. The talking heads on TV need to resign. Government regulators should be embarrassed and forced out of office. And all the partners at these big VC co should be held personally, financially, responsible. What happened to due diligence? My theory is that it went out the door because the number kept going up. This is why the rise and fall of FTX has been a fascinating masterclass in building a Ponzi empire. And I'm convinced that you, me, everyone listening, with a little bit of grit, determination and willpower, you can run the same Ponzi scheme and be the next SBF or Bernie Madoff. Like once you like peel back the onion on this, it's surprisingly not complicated to do, but Getting so many people to buy into your vision, I think that's the hard part for sure. So for those looking for a recap of events leading up to the FTX downfall, because we already covered that in a prior podcast, go back to the previous episode and check it out. Alternatively, uh, you can go to frontruncrypto.com. There's an article called How to Steal $16 Billion. that That's pretty comprehensive, written by yours truly. Nansen AI wrote, a killer piece outlining all of the on-chain events between Alameda and FTX. It's called Blockchain Analysis. It's in the show notes. Also, Glassdoor. uh, Sorry, Glassnode. Glassdoor is like um, not crypto. Glassnode published a 24-minute YouTube video documenting the bank run in real time. All three sources that all the listeners and readers should check out if you want to recap on the lead-up to the FTX collapse. Okay, so FTX and SBF tricked everyone, scammed people out of a bunch of money, and eventually got rug-pulled, and now he's broke and running from the law. How did it happen? How did we get here? And how was he able to convince so many people? My theory is the fake money which served as the Ponzi and centerpiece for this entire pump, then dump. Let's walk through it. So the first step to creating a Ponzi scheme worth billions of dollars is to shill a product, right? You listeners at home probably have been pitched universal index life insurance, Tupperware, nutritional supplements, we've all experienced this from friends and family, right? Well, FTX and SBF, their shill, was the crypto token, FTT. Anything that lacks financial value, but confers privileges, and this is a loose interpretation of privileges, to the purchaser, such that aspiring millionaires, people who are bored, working from home, people who are broke, maybe all of us, we all get duped into buying a product in the hopes of some material appreciation that will ultimately never occur, right? So for FTX, its product and the ultimate source of Ponzi contagion, investor hubris, retail greed, regulator malfeasance, is the FTX crypto token called FTT. Using the FTT token... FTX was literally able to create money from thin air. Here's how. FTT is a pre-mined crypto token sold to early investors, pumped to retail bag holders, and then used as collateral in exchange for U.S. stablecoins. The downfall of the FTT token is that it really lacks economic value, and a really simple way to think about like what economic value means in the token and equity space is, answer the question, is any revenue accrued to the token? The answer is no, right? Zero revenue earned by FTX is paid to token holders. To draw a parallel in traditional finance, imagine you buy an Apple stock without benefiting from... Apple's capital appreciation, right? But instead you receive a 20% discount on all iTunes purchases. As of this recording, the Apple stock's worth maybe 150 bucks per share. Would you pay $100? Would you pay $150 for a share of Apple where its only benefit is you receiving 20% discount on your iTunes purchases? No revenue from Apple to Corporation accrues to this share that you're buying. Would you buy it for 150 bucks? No. Of course not. Would anyone? No. What do you think the price of the Apple stock would be in this scenario? It would be zero. This is because the share price of a stock is determined by the firm's expected future cash flows you can google dcf if you want more information it stands for discounted cash flow it's a big rabbit hole you're going to go down so proceed with caution but it basically means that the firm's profits which is revenue minus expenses are returned to the shareholders via earnings if you ever heard of the phrase pe ratio this is the e in the pe ratio it stands for earnings per share and when you look at the calculation of P ratio at share price by earnings per share. If you solve for share price, uh, you can then use the P ratio and EPS to predict what the share price is, right? And because zero fees are earned by the FTX platform are actually paid to the FTT, FTT token holders. The token is literally worthless. i think about this because zero fees earned by the ftx platform are paid to the ftt token holders the token is worthless this is because the earnings per share of the FTT token is zero dollars and will always and forever be zero dollars this is an important distinction because you can look at a publicly traded company that is not profitable today it will have an EPS of zero, but it will be profitable tomorrow. This is fundamentally different when compared against a crypto token that is not profitable today and will never be profitable ever. Rather, FTX marketed the token as an instrument that confers holders certain privileges like discount on trading fees, earning a 5 to 8% yield, and hold the point on that because that is super fake. You can also get voting rights on FTT token listings, sorry, FTX token listings by owning the FTT token. If there are any airdrops, you're eligible for that. Moreover, and I think this might be the biggest point of contention is on the FTX platform, you can use FTT as collateral for leveraged and future positions. So those are five benefits of the FTT token, but remember, Bullet point number two, earning a 5% to 8% yield. This yield is not a byproduct of any revenue collected. It is a temporary marketing expense paid by FTX to FTT token holders. So consider this. Back to Apple and its $150 imaginary share price with zero capital appreciation, but holders are entitled to 20% of all iTunes purchases. Okay. Now imagine Apple introduces a five percent yield which pays all holders seven dollars and fifty cents per year. Five percent of 150 is seven dollars50 cents, right? Is the stock now worth 150? No, it's still not worth 150. It will never be worth 150. It's at most worth seven dollars and50 cents. This is true in the capital markets, and this is true in the crypto markets. FTT had a shitcoin that conferred no revenue to the token holders and instead provided benefits to the FTX.com exchange, primarily in the form of token listings, airdrops, and collateral. It's complete scam, guys. But here's the worst part. How do you think the market investors and regulators reacted to a literal... Worthless shitcoin with fake yield, used as collateral to trade futures. Was there any pushback, any apprehension, any doubt? No, none. It was 100% acceptance. In a 24-month window, the FTT token experienced a 4100% increase from its $1.74 ICO price to. And at the high record of $73 per token. It's crazy. You guys should go to tradingview.com and put in FTT. And you can see the pump and dump. I just can't imagine a pre-mined token with $0 in revenue. And zero trading fees. With a fully diluted market cap of $28 billion. Not raising any red flags to anyone within our regulatory apparatus like the sec or name a member of the alphabet soup they're all asleep at the wheel with ftx or maybe they're being paid in part by ftx via uh its donations it's made to both democrats and republicans which leads us to our next question is who are the holders of the ftt token if the government and its regulatory apparatus responsible for protecting retail investors were asleep at the wheel. Surely the holders of the FTT token had some desire for safeguarding and ensuring the token was not used for ill-gotten trades or for perhaps questionable leveraged positions. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Why? Because the holders of the FTT tokens were FTX investors and early employees. These are organizations and individuals incentivized to pump the token or use it as collateral for U.S. denominated dollars. I mean, you go to Masari.com, it's an FTX portfolio company that has a ton of great analytics on uh, various crypto tokens, such as the liquid supply curve and distribution model. It if you go there and you type in FTX and you go to the FTT token distribution page, you'll see that the liquid supply curve paints a super confusing token distribution attempting to delineate the 350 million FTT tokens across multiple stakeholders. It's complete smoke and mirrors. When you drill down and look at the two overarching categories of stakeholders, you'll realize that it's just the FTX employees and just the FTX investors. Approximately 70% of the pre-mined, again, pre-mined FTT tokens went to early investors and the other 30% went to FTX under an umbrella of categories like the Acquisition Fund, which is FTX's marketing machine which provided liquidity for the FTT tokens, right? There's also a liquidity fund and an allocation to pay early employees. I feel bad for the FTX employees that were paid in the FTT token and weren't part of this catastrophe. They got burned. What's so amazing about this is that FTX is both the product and the investor. Remember, Alameda Research is the proprietary investment arm of FTX, connected by SBF, who participated in the FTX initial coin offering. There's a guide that Nansen.ai shared over the past week, and my God, it's so amazing. Everyone has to read it. They conclude, using on-chain analytics, that nearly 280 million of the FTT tokens... Not the 104 million from the official tokenomic supply curve are controlled by FTX or an FTX subsidiary. Here's the quote out of 350 million total supply of FTT tokens, 280 million of it was controlled by FTX. That's right from an on chain analysis from Nansen.ai. Think about this at the Peak of the FTT token pump that was trading around $72, $73 per token, FTX controlled approximately $22 billion worth of collateral. That is what enabled FTX to buy the support of government officials to acquire competitors, to fund their global marketing blitz, to pay celebrities like Tom Brady, Steph Curry, Larry Davis to endorse them, to get naming rights to the Miami Heat arena, to keep smart money VCs at arm's length, right? It was all because the FTT token had such an inflated valuation because it was incredibly illiquid as a byproduct of being controlled via FTX. This is also what enabled FTX to lend FTT as collateral in exchange for U.S. denominated stable coins. It's the centerpiece of the Ponzi scheme. I mean, if you imagine a circle, in the middle of the circle is the FTT token, right? And then around the circle, three activities are performed right, in a continuous loop that never ends. Number one, you have the pump. Number two, you have the infinite money loop. This is where FTX controls the stock and flow of the total FTT token distribution. Stock is the number of FTT tokens in, in current circulation. Flow is the rate at which new FTT tokens are entering or exiting the system. And then on the third part of the circle, which is, again, this, this loop that Repeats forever is pumping the FTT token to new investors as old investors depart and capitulate, right? So, step one, you have the pump to new investors. Step two, you have the infinite money loop vis a vis the FTT token supply. And step three, you have new investors entering as old investors depart, and it's all controlled by the FTT token. I mean, it, it, it's it's insane that maybe it's not insane. I mean, guys, I was thinking about like the lead up to this over the past over the past month or so. If common minds prevailed, we should have saw that it is literally impossible for a token where zero revenue accrues to it is able to achieve a market cap of $22 billion. I mean, it, it just can't happen in the real world. And I think for those looking for Alpha for the next time this happens, I would personally, and I am doing this, explore all exchange tokens and all utility tokens that are trading north of a billion dollar market cap with zero dollars in revenue accruing to the token. Those are all probably going to go to zero. Maybe or Whether or not they're a scam, that's you can put that aside. But it is literally impossible for an asset with zero dollars of revenue accruing to it to be worth anything. It just can't happen. So at this point, we can conclude that all of the participants in the FTT token, from the institutional investors, to the retail traders pumping the coin, to the government bureaucrats who are supposed to act as the regulatory body and prevent this from ever happening in the first place, are asleep at the wheel and completely accepting of this $22 billion Ponzi scheme. You can overlay the fact that celebrities like Tom Brady, Steph Curry, Giselle Buncheon, all these people were bought and sold in part by the FTT token, right? But there has to be one segment of the population that can rise above being bought and sold by crypto billionaires. And it should be, The media, right? It should be the talking heads on TV. It should be the financial institutions who are responsible for objective reporting, like CNN, Bloomberg, CNBC. These guys should be able to provide objective analyses and call out a scam when it happens. But did that happen? You already know the answer. Unfortunately, it didn't. It should come as no surprise that the talking heads on TV and legacy print have failed to provide an accurate analysis of any of the FTX reporting, the FTX Ponzi, government malfeasance, investor greed, the broader crypto collapse, and the corresponding wealth destruction. Mainstream media has framed FTX Alameda Research and their executive team. Uh, I, I can't even repeat this, I, I, but I have to for the listeners. Quoting, quoting Forbes Digital, operators of a transparent exchange brought to its knees by a ruthless competitor. They're talking about Binance. Here's a quote from the Financial Times. Victims of a Chinese corporate raider operating a questionable international crypto exchange. They're describing FTX. The Block. The Block is a crypto publication, They described the Alameda Research CEO as complex, nerdy, and highly intelligent. This is after the collapse. This is completely unbelievable. Fortunately, the poor reporting has been caught mostly by Twitter, and these self-proclaimed financial reporters have been forced to backtrack on their claims of investigative journalism. And what's super funny is they're doing this by taking articles they've published and then republishing them again, but without the lens of complete partisan complete partisan language that doesn't actually help the conversation. So, for example, The Block, this guy named R.T. Watson, published an article about Alameda Research shortly after the collapse, and the, the title of the article is nerdy and highly intelligent Alameda's Caroline Ellison cast a complex shadow unbelievable nothing about her greed nothing about her leverage positions nothing about her FTT token uh, positions and like the role she played in that when Twitter saw this they went berserk and it forced the block to backtrack and republish the article with the new headline Here, here it is quoting who is Alameda Caroline? Who is Alameda's Caroline Ellison? Her story casts a complex shadow. Unfreakin' believable. Good thing the internet never forgets. Okay, you put these crypto publications aside, and you gotta believe that smart money won't be beholden to the same bait and switch, right? Nope, nope, nope. You already know the answer. Institutional investors and smart money venture capitalists are also guilty as charged. In an attempt to hide their participation in the FTX grift, the organizations which made this scam possible are now rewriting their history by deleting entire articles and removing entire sections from their webpage. DCG, who's in a, compl- DCG is Digital Currency Group. They own, oh man, these guys are in it. They own, uh uh, Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. They own Coindesk. They own um, Genesis Trading. Uh, these guys are going to go to zero. I- I'm pretty sure of it. They had a Who We Are section on their webpage. All right, you click it. It shows the board members, the executive team, the investors. It's a complete humble brag. After the FTX and Alameda Richards collapse, you know what they did? They removed the Who We Are section from their webpage. They went completely... Uh, Anon, what would motivate a venture capital fund with a hun- with $50 billion of assets under management to, to completely remove its About Me section and go 100% anonymous? Aren't these website headshots supposed to be the ultimate flex anyway? My theory is that DCG is the operator of the Grayscale Bitcoin Investment Trust, GDP, GBTC, as most of us know. It's a digital currency investment product. So for all of the people who want exposure to Bitcoin but don't want to go to Coinbase and they want to do it in like a tax advantaged vehicle like a 401k or Roth IRA, you can go to like Fidelity by typing GBTC into the search bar and actually buy GBTC, which is a trust that owns BTC, right? This trust has a lot of problems. It was trading at a premium to uh, its net asset value, but right now it's trading 45% at a discount relative to its underlying asset, Bitcoin. So this means that you can buy $1 of Bitcoin for 55 cents when you buy GBTC, right? This sounds great. I mean, why isn't everybody loading into GBTC for an instant 85% return in the next bull market? The answer, I mean, there's it's a complex answer, but the TLDR is that Grayscale is not providing any proof of reserves of its assets under management. Can you believe that? With the complete catastrophe of FTX and the centralized exchange fallout over the past summer, it's a damning position for Grayscale to make a statement and say we're not going to actually provide proof that we own anything we say we own. Here's their tweet from Grayscale, quote, Coinbase frequently performs on-chain validation. Due to security concerns, we do not make such on-chain wallet information and confirmation information available publicly or through cryptographic proof of reserve or other cryptographic accounting procedures. What makes this so damning is that Genesis Trading It's a crypto desk owned by DCG. Again, DCG also owns Grayscale. Just announced that their trading division had $175 million of exposure to FTX. And its lending group had almost $3 billion worth of outstanding loans. It got so bad that the Genesis Trading Investment Platform, which owns DC, which is owned by DCG, and also owns Grayscale, suspended customer withdrawals to prevent a bank run. I mean, there's a lot of speculation, and I'm for sure like guessing what's happening here, but I think it has to do with GBTC's exposure via uh, Gemini and Genesis Trading. And three hours capital and FTX essentially using GBTC as arbitrage. So, about a year ago, GBTC was trading at a premium. So, what that means is uh, institutional investors like 3AC, Genesis Trading, Gemini, so on and so forth would put BTC into the grayscale Bitcoin trusts, right? So, imagine I put one BTC into gbtc six months later after the holding period is over i get back one share of gbtc but guess what that share of gbtc was trading at a premium of 50 percent during the last bull run so i put in one bitcoin i get back a share that is worth 1.5 bitcoin Sounds crazy, right? It worked right up until it didn't, and as of this this podcast, it's trading at a discount relative to the underlying of about forty five percent, which means that any leveraged positions by now have had have been called, and and I think was a big catalyst for this bank run that we're experiencing now. So think about this dcg is the single largest holder of gbtc the asset right and we all know that GBTC was the preferred crypto investment vehicle used during the last bull run right just to recap in case it's confusing trading desks like genesis and three hours capital took investor funds to buy bitcoin they gave that bitcoin to grayscale grayscale gave them back gbtc since gbtc was trading at a premium to its underlying that means one bitcoin is worth 1.4 gbtc it's an instant profit to investors of about 40 percent this fueled more investments and enabled trading desks. To take that GBTC and use it as collateral for U.S. dollar denominated stable coins. I mean, think about it. You're in a position where you took you took one unit of something and like through the investment vehicle, it became worth 1.5 units of something. And then you took that 1.5 units of something and then you use that as collateral to borrow five units of something else. And then now you've turned that one unit to five unit, but you really have one unit, and that's the Bitcoin. So when the Bitcoin market experienced a contraction, the first domino to fall was GBTC, and it went from trading at a 40% premium to its net asset value to a 40% discount. And when that happened, all the leveraged positions were called, and it ultimately was the domino effect that led to the crypto winner. And on the backdrop of this crypto winner, there is growing concern that both Grayscale and Genesis Trading are illiquid and perhaps more interconnected than previously disclosed. But at this point, we should have the investigative journalists and crypto enthusiasts at brands like CoinDesk to keep these bankers honest, right? Unfortunately, my position is no. Coindesk is owned by Digital Currency Group. Digital Currency Group owns Grayscale, owns Genesis Trading. What incentive does Digital Currency Group have to ensure a certain message, a certain topic, a certain point of view is conveyed to the broader crypto community about their solvency? Does Coindesk truly have autonomy with respect to reporting the financial stability of DCG, Grayscale, and its other subsidiaries? Only time will tell, but I'm quite apprehensive about this. So for example, there's a recent Coindesk interview uh, where the Coindesk reporter discusses FTX exposure to USDT with SBF. And SBF literally responds... I'm not going to be able to prove to you 100% exactly what's there. I mean, it's him literally admitting that he's not sure what the hell he has in reserves. So what did the Coindesk guy do? Did he follow up? Did he push Sam? No. And it's this lack of effort from Coindesk and their ability to hold SPF accountable. It's either a byproduct of incompetency or deceit. My unproven opinion is that the symbiotic relationship between Coindesk and DCG and the broader crypto market via Genesis Trading is what is ultimately perpetuating these softball questions. And clearly what's an attempt from SBF to sidestep, you know, like legitimate questions he should be answering. Even if we put like the crypto reporting industry aside, surely the coastal elites in Silicon Valley... Home of the microprocessor, Stanford University, and self-driving cars must be able to operate with a higher level of integrity than their crypto DGEN counterparts. I mean, after all, Silicon Valley is the forefront of new technology, helping founders and their companies change the world, right? It's where one out of every 11,000 people is a billionaire with a B, and it's where every one out of 727 people is a multi-millionaire. These are the people we should be looking for, for guidance. The unfortunate reality is that big VCs fail all the time in a spectacular fashion, but it's their hubris that prevents them from acknowledging any wrongdoing and instead attempts to rewrite history by literally, deleting their previous endorsements of FTX and SBF off their website. I had to go to archive.org to pull this out, but the endorsement's truly spectacular. Here's a quote from the now-deleted Sequoia Capital article on FTX and SBF. Quote, I was talking to a future trillionaire. Whatever mojo he worked on, The partners at Sequoia who fell for him after one Zoom call, it worked on me, too. For me, it was simply a gut feeling. I've been talking to founders and doing deep dives into technology companies for decades. It's my entire professional life as a writer. And because of that experience, there must be a pattern-matching algorithm churning away somewhere in my subconscious. I don't know how... I just do. SBF is a winner. That's a legitimate copy-paste from the Sequoia Capital article, ultimately endorsing FTX and SBF. Unbelievable. If crypto publications like The Block aren't able to report the truth, if the largest publication in the world, Coindesk, is beholden to the same forces responsible for the impending implosion of Genesis and GBTC. If the largest and most prestigious venture fund in the world won't admit wrongdoing in its involvement with FTX. If the fintech and crypto desk of the Financial Times is unable or unwilling to call out the Ponzi tokenomics of FTT and FTX. How can we expect the media apparatus of the US government CNN, Forbes, MSNBC, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Fox, the list goes on to act with objectivity? The answer is we can't. There's so many examples to pull from, but I think the two most apparent articles of just complete incompetency that I've seen with respect to the FTX reporting come from the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and then Maybe a third candidate is something from Forbes. Let's go through those really quickly just so you can see the method to their madness. So the New York Times, the New York Times, this is the fintech and cryptocurrency desk of the Times, published a report on the collapse of FTX under SBF's control. And here's what they concluded. This is a direct quote from the... Cryptocurrency and Fintech Desk of the New York Times. Quote, Around the time the crypto market crashed this spring, Miss Ellison explained, lenders moved to recall those loans, the person familiar with the meeting said. But the funds that Alameda spent were no longer easily available, so the company used... FTX customer funds to make the payments. According to the person familiar with FTX's finance, the exchange lent as much as $10 billion to Alameda. End quote. How many times throughout the entire article do you think New York Times, FinTech and Cryptocurrency Desk used the words Fraud, crime, illiquid, stolen, criminal, backdoor, hidden. How many times were any of those words used? Zero. In fact, in the paragraph I just quoted to you, they didn't even use the word steal. They used the word used and the word lent. Unbelievable. How often do you think this reporter pushed SBF on the FTT token economics their ability to control to control the total supply of tokens in distribution and in circulation or how many or how about how FTX minted new money and used it as collateral for US dollar stable coins how many times were those types of questions raised by the New York Times fintech and cryptocurrency desk take a wild guess it's 0 Not a single time. But they did take a moment to make sure that Sam was getting enough sleep. And I quote You would have thought that I'd be getting more sleep, right? You would have thought I'd be getting no sleep right now. And instead, I'm getting some. But it could be worse. That is the response from SBF when questioned on his sleep schedule unbelievable. And if you peel back the onion, I'm sure it has nothing to do with SBF being an attendee at the Times Business, Culture, and Politics Summit. I mean, you go to the website, it's still there. Literal quote, it's today's most vital minds on a single stage. What blows my mind is that this this summit is being advertised by a Wall Street Journal employee whose Twitter profile says he's a freaking investigative journalist. I mean, unbelievable. Where's the investigation? We should not be surprised. Okay, my ongoing critique and just desire to rip on mainstream media is their continued inability to report on facts that actually matter. Take the Wall Street Journal as an example. This is the Wall Street Journal. Like, When you think of finance and money and wealth and investing and stocks, you think of the Wall Street Journal. This is a complete puff piece from the Finance Bureau of the Wall Street Journal titled, How Caroline Ellison Found Herself at the Center of the FTX Crypto Collapse. Okay, that's the freaking title of this analysis from the Finance Bureau of the Wall Street Journal. Not how Carolyn Ellison created fake money, built a Ponzi scheme, and defrauded investors out of billions of dollars. No, no, no. No, no, no. But rather, it's how she found herself at the center of the FTX crypto collapse. The article goes on to describe Caroline Ellison, again, who's the freaking CEO of Alameda Research, this is the Wall Street Journal, the Wall Street Journal, describing the CEO of Alameda Research responsible for this freaking bank run and illegal use of depositor funds. They describe her love for Harry Potter and stuffed animals. Quote, Caroline Ellison grew up in the Boston suburbs, the daughter of two MIT economists, At five, she read the second Harry Potter book to herself. At eight, she wrote an analysis of stuffed animal prices. Her father, inspired by his daughters, wrote advanced math textbooks for children bored by basic lessons. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Her vision... Okay, then it goes on to talk about her vision for a socially impactful society. Okay. Quote, She... I can't even say this. Oh, my God. I can't even say this. Okay, I'm going to try. Okay. She was on the board of what they called the Future Fund. The Future Fund. With the goal of making grants to nonprofits and investments in socially impactful companies. Wow. And then it goes on to describe her rapid ascension to becoming the CEO as accidental. Accidental. Quote, Miss Ellison was quick to summarize her rapid ascent as almost accidental. She joined Wall Street straight from Stanford University. Though the move was less a calling more than an answer to the question she found herself asking in college. What are math majors supposed to do with their lives anyway? End quote. Wow. So, so insightful. I mean, it's truly garbage from the Finance Bureau of the Wall Street Journal. How much time and context did the journal dedicate to describing how Alameda research used fake money created by FTX as collateral for U.S. dollar-denominated loans? How much effort was put into explaining the leverage positions Alameda took on the FTX token collateralized loans, all of which ultimately went to zero, or the overstatement of assets on the balance sheet, or the understatement of real liabilities Alameda had exposure to via the co mingled deposit funds, or how institutional investors provided the capital which enabled Alameda to take these risks, or how Alameda's internal pitch deck included a forecast of 100% year-over-year returns. How much time did the Wall Street Journal spend answering any of these questions with the pretense that Caroline Ellison was the CEO of Alameda when all of this happened? The answer is, of course, no. Zero, zero time. Zero hours. Not even a goddamn second. They spent more time exploring her love for Harry Potter and stuffed animals. Throughout the entire analysis, she's framed as a victim. An observer in the FTX meltdown. And the only reference to her pre-existing knowledge of the use of depositor funds as a backstop on Alameda's liabilities was in the very last sentence of the article. This is like a two thousand page analysis a two thousand word analysis, and they don't mention Alameda research using depositor funds until the very last sentence of the article. I mean good grief even even Forbes, even Forbes couldn't resist just completely butchering their reporting on the FTX Meltdown by politicizing FTX as a byproduct of the alt-right movement. I'm not even making this up. Here's a direct quote from the Forbes article on Alameda Research. This is the headline. This is not like 10 paragraphs in. This is the headline of the article. Here we go. Quote, Alameda Research CEO is a math whiz who loves Harry Potter and taking big risks. She is also one of the supporting players in Sam Bakeman-Fried's FTX collapse and a new darling of the alt-right. End quote. I can't believe how wrong this is on so many levels. I mean, but putting that aside, the claim that she's a darling of the alt-right is not supported at all in the Forbes write up. It's they literally make a statement that says she is a darling of the alt right, but doesn't provide any supporting information on the claim. I mean, it's it's so bad, and just and you wonder why like nobody trusts mainstream media. It's stuff like this. I mean, there's other like challenges in in the headline. Like she wasn't a supporting player; she was the freaking CEO of the company. And who cares about her love for Harry Potter? It doesn't matter. Fortunately, fortunately, uh, this article got downvoted into into oblivion on Twitter. Once the Twitterverse pointed out that FTX and SBF donated over $40 million to the DNC in 2022. They were actually the second largest contributor. I mean, can you believe this nonsense? And here's the crazy part. It turns out Forbes sent an investigative journalist to the Bahamas, the Bahamas, to write this, and that was the best they could come up with. Complete garbage. <laughs> I, I, I mean, should we be surprised at any of this? Uh, my answer is obviously no. The mainstream media pundits... These are the same experts who portrayed SBF as who portrayed SBF as the next Warren Buffett, literally the next Warren Buffett. These are the smartest people in the room who told us that SBF's quest for global domination was really just him earning to give. His vision of philanthropy where he helps as many people in the most efficient way possible, is called effective altruism and it's something that other executives and teams should model and strive to achieve. It's why FTX has a higher leadership and governance ESG score than ExxonMobil. It's also why SBF was on the cover of both Forbes and Fortune. These are the same media experts who heralded SBF and FTX as this generation's J.P. Morgan. Check out this quote: J.P. Morgan of this generation, Sam Bankman-Fried's FTX. Yes, is is slashing everybody's margin and uh, average fees per transaction across the industry have declined by fifty percent. A lot of that is is the man, Sam Bankman-Fried. These are the same individuals who told us that SBF and FTX is the White Knight of Crypto, or the Michael Jordan of Crypto. These are the same costly leads distilling complex technology and business activity into digestible nuggets of wisdom for us plebeians to understand. Like, I'm not making this up, how Sam Bankman-Fried is, quote, the patron saint of crypto. Check this out. It is just fascinating to see uh, you know, just how ambitious and seemingly successful uh, SBF has seemed to be, but there are competing views of him within the industry. Is he more of the messiah or is he a shark? Yes, no, you have people calling Sam Bankman-Fried the patron saint of crypto, that he is bailing out the industry, come, swooping in as a white knight uh, to save struggling companies. There is a problem in legacy media, mainstream media, as well as any modern reporting institution that is beholden to a financial outcome as a result of its parent company. This is the problem that we talk about all the time at Front Run, and it's called participation inequality. Remember, mainstream media, its corporate investors, and the invisible hand of the billionaire billionaire class control the narrative and flow of information. This is called participation inequality, and it is where the 1% of the population generates 90% of all consumable information. This information is disseminated from the 1% who acts as the invisible hand, controlling the flow of news, s- defining incredibly vague or opaque public policy, incorrectly reporting on crypto scams and providing financial analyses that is so complicated it might as well be a foreign language social media serves as a tool to amplify the information created by these elites to serve their benefits and not yours special interest groups corporations technocrats legacy bankers they all created they all create narratives to expand their wealth and their knowledge at your expense. FTX is just the most recent example of this systemic flaw in America's news and reporting apparatus. And this is the antithesis of open finance and a reminder for all listeners and everybody who believes in financial freedom to reject the status quo from all media organizations. Government oversight a centralized body controlling the flow of information, the creation of a regulatory framework that's comprehensive and robust is not the answer to this round of wealth destruction. It's not the answer to the FTX Ponzi, and it's not the answer to any second or third order effects of investor under collateralized leverage positions. A decentralized, permissionless financial system where contracts are enforced by code on an immutable ledger of transactions, has not collapsed, nor has it experienced a bank run. Uniswap, Aave, Compound, Maker, all the OGs continue to function as engineered because counterparty risks are smart contracts. Transactions are on-chain, and liquidity is supplied by automated market makers. Bankruptcy is a literal impossibility on the blockchain. We published a really robust analysis on why this is true on frontruncrypto.com. It's titled, There's No Bankruptcy Court on the Blockchain. I'll post it in the show notes for you to review. But it's a reminder that the answer to a centralized, opaque bureaucracy where transactions are performed off-chain, counterparty risks are not quantifiable, are not disclosed, the answer to that problem is decentralized finance. In a future analysis, we'll double click into the deep web of relationships between DCG, Genesis Trading, GBTC, the potential fallout with Coinbase. I'm probably going to do A valuation study of coinbase to try to come up with like some fair market value of what coinbase is that's going to probably take a week or so but until next time everyone i'm your host john cook thank you for listening we are on a journey to front run the next generation of wealth creation that is decentralized finance and cryptocurrency hit the subscribe button share with your friends And make sure you check out our newsletter at frontruncrypto.com. And remember don't invest more than you're willing to lose. Crypto is.